Well done for coming. Really, really important subject to look at. Uh, and I do think that um, not just the Christ Christians, but people in the West per se, and I don't know enough about other parts of the world to make comments, so I'm not saying it's just the West. I know the West. And we're in, I think we're definitely in a bit of trouble in this whole thing of rhythm and rest and you know, where Sabbath fits in that and what we're saying. So I do think it's an ever such an important thing. Um, so I'm going to spend session one focusing on just trying to create a really help, helpful as I can theological framework. The Bible says we know in part. Okay, So uh, this side of glory, there'll always be things we don't quite know, we don't quite get right, but we're going to try and make it as consistent within itself and as understandable biblically as possible, but it is actually quite a complex subject. So I'm going to do my best, but just saying that at the start, a little asterisk, don't expect perfection, okay? Um, so I'll, I'll open in prayer. Father, thank you for time together to look at your words and to think about um, this, uh, this very, very important subject. I pray you would grant us something of a, something of a restfulness in our spirit and our mind and heart, even as we look at this that we would be able to really engage in a way that leads to lots of fruit. We want to be more and more fruitful, Lord, so we ask that you would help us to just engage in that kind of way. Protect us from everything the evil one tries to do in these times, from confusion, from getting the wrong end of the stick, from deception. We pray for clarity in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, great. All right, so here we go. Let's uh, get our Bibles out and uh, start at Genesis chapter 2. What I'm going to do, I'm going to try and just track through the, 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 the general sort of biblical narrative on, on the Sabbath, even, even into church history, which will answer some of the questions about churches and Sundays and Saturdays. So we'll try and track, track that through together. So Genesis 2, uh, first three verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the principles that we see in Genesis 2 are, some of them are here. So we see that it, the backdrop is six days of work. So with six days of work, one day of rest. Um, the seventh day, which came to be celebrated as the Saturday, God blessed that and made it holy in the creation account. And also, interestingly, days in the creation account are measured from evening to evening. Okay, so, um, so it's Friday evening to the Saturday, or sunset, Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. So that's the rhythm that we see in Genesis. Those are the things that we see there. I'm just reading it and saying that's what we see there. We're going to try and put it all together um, when we get to the end. Uh, the next thing where it really comes through strongly, we're going to look at the bits where it's most strong in Scripture, is Exodus. So let's turn in the next book to Exodus. And the context of Exodus is that the people of Israel were under a new regime. It's really important. They've been under Pharaoh. They've been under oppression. They get rescued by God. And they come under a new regime. And um, so let's start, well, actually, let's start in Exodus um, 16. And this is actually before... The, uh, the, the, giving of the, law, the giving of the law at Sinai. So this actually happens before that. Uh, if we look at verses 22 of Exodus 16. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. So manna's coming, manna, bread. God is providing bread from heaven, manna. And on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. It didn't stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So the rhythm is every day there's manna. You go out and collect enough for each day. On day six, you collect two amounts and then... um, uh, in God's grace and providence, the, it doesn't go mouldy the next day because of the Sabbath. On the seventh, you haven't got to go out and gather. You simply eat it so that you can rest. That's, that, that, that was the idea that was given there. And then if we go to chapter 19, in, in terms of the context of um, chapter 19, verses uh, 8 uh, to 11. Uh, have I got that? I'm not sure I've got that right. Sorry. Um, no, sorry. Chapter 28 to 11. So the giving of the Ten Commandments. Um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, and then we'll go to chapter 34 of Exodus. Verse 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest in ploughing time and in harvest. You shall rest. You shall observe the feast, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, and then 35, first three verses. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days, shall, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord, Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So in these various passages in Exodus, what, what are the things we see? The context is new regime. They've been under uh, Pharaoh in Egypt where they had to constantly work as slaves um, and even, even create more bricks uh, without straw. It was oppressive, it was violent. They're under a new regime now and this idea of the Sabbath comes in. We see that it's one of the ten. So it's a big deal. It's the, the, I guess a, a ten, the Ten Commandments are one of the ways of summing up, if you like, um, many of the commandments that we find in the Old Testament. Number two, that it's serious and solemn. It's not a light thing. It's a serious thing. If you don't, if you don't observe this, you'll be put to death. It's a, that's a big deal. Um, number three, it's to be observed in the busiest seasons, not just the quiet ones. So even in ploughing time and even in harvest, where you could easily say, yeah, well, God understands because, you know, it's super busy right now. No, 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 no. Even then, you're going to Sabbath. And then number four, that it hits on the whole thing of trust and provision. Okay? So there's this thing about trust and provision that actually, if we, if we rest, God will still provide. The world will still go around. Our needs will still be met. This is the, uh, a lot of the anxiety where the people of Israel at times didn't obey this. You see it coming through and constantly traded seven days a week. Um, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see that along with numbers of the other commands in, in the law, the people of Israel would go through seasons where they would, just, they would backslide from God. And 
So they would often get into idolatry and other things, but sometimes what would be partnered with that would be the, the, if the, not observing the Sabbath anymore, so you'll find in books like Nehemiah, where they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then, and then Nehemiah, you know, there's trade coming on seven days a week, and he says, no, you're not going to come in. You know, we're going to shut the gates on the seventh day, and then, you know, because we're not going to do this, and it's enforcing of, enforcing of rest, quite a sort of a strange sort of um, concept. Then you've got the intertestamental period, which is in between Malachi and Matthew, about 450 years, during which the Romans invade. And the Romans bring with them Greek culture. And what you find is, is that some of, the, some of the people of Israel, they acquiesce and become fairly conformed to Greek culture, but you also find some really strong resistance movements growing. Um, so, no, 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 that's not us. We're not that. We're a distinct nation where the people of God has given us these laws. We're not going to live like that. We reject these values. We want to hold on to the values that we have in the Torah, in the Word of God. And so you get movements like the Pharisees and things that started during that period, which is a resistance to, I guess, secularization, for want of a better term. Then we get to Jesus. I'm doing a whistle-stop tour. You'll realize that, but I'm just trying to help you understand the whole picture. Still with me? We get to Jesus. Now, Jesus obviously was a Jew who was under the law. It's really important to know, realize that. We're told that he came to those under the law. He came, he came as one under the law to those under the law to redeem those under the law, Galatians 4. So he's a Jew and he's under the law. So, yes, he observed the Jewish Sabbath. Um, and yet, the subject of Sabbath would be one of the main causes of tension between him and the religious leaders of his day. So let's go to Matthew 11 together. And here you'll probably discover what I've said to you many times, that the chapter breaks in our Bible really hinder us from reading the Bible properly. Please do not be fooled by the headings and the chapter breaks. They really mess with the way we read the scripture. Okay? Because I'm going about to read you a really, really famous scripture at the end of Matthew 11, which you'll go, oh yeah, I know that. But then we're going to read straight through into Matthew 12 and you'll probably see what I'm getting at. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, the day of rest. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Why well, have you not read in the law on the, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." He went on from there and entered their synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So the, what Jesus did and didn't do on the Sabbath was a cause for serious controversy to the point that it actually led to them wanting, to, one of the, it's one of the reasons they wanted to destroy um, Jesus. So what we see here, first of all, is that Jesus himself points to himself as the bringer of rest. 
Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come to me all who are weary, which we, we read out so much in our services and we minister to one another with. The context is Sabbath. Because it goes straight, it's deliberately written in that order because Matthew 12 is all about Sabbath. So Jesus says that if you come to me, I will give you rest. Proximity to him and learning from him, if you will listen and learn from him, will lead to rest. So that's a really important point. Secondly, Jesus has the authority to define and determine what's what and what's not concerning the Sabbath. He's a Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? So he's basically saying, look, I, I have authority. I'm Lord of, I am Lord of this day. I will de determine and define what's appropriate and what isn't. And then thirdly, really importantly, this, uh, which we will find in Matthew 2, sorry, Mark 2, which is Mark's account of the same incident, it's a very important phrase. So Mark 2 verse 27 says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Very, very important, obviously, you know, it's a key scripture, which shows us that the Sabbath was a gift to us. Okay? It's a gift. It's a, it's a time for healing. In the, in the Bible, the story of the man's healed hand, the word for healing and salvation is the same in, 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 in Greek, sozo. Healing means salvation. So salvation is about restoration. Salvation is about being healed. Okay? And so what we see here is that Sabbath is God's gift to us. It's a time for healing. It's not something to enslave us, but something to restore us really really important because it had become something in the minds of the Pharisees where Jesus is challenging because it was becoming it was becoming you know you got you got someone who needed restoration but on like Sabbath you've got to wait till the next day I think something's gone wrong here it's, it's for us so these are important things that we see in the teaching of Jesus then we get to the Apostles teaching okay so um, sort of Romans on, on through to the end of the Bible. Now the context is really important because at, the, at this point in, in, in the story, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it's Jesus 99% of the time reaching Jews. Okay, he said, I've come, to, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus in his earthly ministry before the cross was focused on the lost, people of, or the lost sheep of Israel. That's where his focus was. So you have to understand it in, in light of that. Once you get to the epistles that are written, you've got this very controversial situation of, of churches that are mixed congregations, Jews and Gentiles. And so a lot of the letters and a lot of the uh, discussions that happen in the New Testament are trying to work out, how do we make sense of this? You've got these people with this immensely rich history in God and, and these scriptures that are coming through. But then you've got this, this Messiah himself, you know, the, who came for the lost people of Israel, the Jewish Messiah. But what's become clear is that, is that as promised to Abraham, way back in Genesis 12, this is a blessing for all the nations. So God's heart is for all of the nations. And Jesus himself said, I have sheep from another flock and I want to bring them in so that there's one shepherd and one flock. And so we see God's heart is, is that there will be one flock, one people, Jews and Gentiles. And so there's lots of huge discussions and debate and controversy going on in the early church. How does it work together, Jews with Gentiles? So what you will find is, is that for example, in Galatians, you see, well, you've got to know the context of the letters, and you can often work out most of the context through the letter itself. So it's not like you have to sort of guess. It's in there. So here we go. In Galatians, we've got a situation where Jewish converts, so Jews that have become believers, had come into the mostly Gentile church in Galatia and were insisting that those Gentiles that have become Christians must also convert to Judaism, if they're going to be truly the people of God and truly saved. And so there, when Paul talks about observing special days and things like that, 
I guess uh, one of which would, you know, would be Sabbath and, and sort of one day this, observe that, don't observe that. He comes in really, really strong talking about don't be a slave. And the reason why is because what's happened is, is that the Sabbath and, and, other, and circumcision and other things have been framed in the context of, no, you have to do this, otherwise you can't be the people of God. So it's a gospel issue. It's an issue of, no, 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 either Jesus in himself is sufficient for our salvation or we've also got to become Jews. And he's fighting for, no, Jesus is sufficient for Jew and Gentile to become saved and reconciled to God. So that's why his language is so strong in Galatians and he's fighting against slavery because he's, he's coming up against this idea that's come in to the church that as a Gentile, you can't be saved simply through faith in Christ alone and his work, you must also become a Jew. So that's what he's fighting there. When we get to Colossians... What we've got there is a Christ-centred congregation, most likely Jews, but predominantly probably Gentiles, are definitely mixed. And it seems like, from Colossians 2, where he says, so if we go to Colossians 2, sure, I, I should have read you the Galatians passage, sorry. Um, that's Galatians 4, about um, what I just said. Colossians 2, uh, verses um, 16, verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you, in, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Okay? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Then he goes on, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So it seems like in the Colossian church, you've got some Jewish Believers that are insisting on things like Sabbath. We, we have to observe the Sabbath according to the Old Covenant. And you've got other people in the church that are, they may be Jewish, Gentile, we don't know. But what we do know is, is that they are super spiritual. And so what, he's, what Paul says is, listen, don't let anyone judge you in regard to Sabbaths and um, food and drink and stuff like that. Don't, don't allow yourself to be judged in that. Okay? You're, you're not under that. I'll talk about that language in a minute. But you're not under that. Okay? And then he says, but also there are others who are trying to disqualify you because I think they're more spiritual than you. And he basically says the answer to both is Jesus. Okay? He says all these things, they're, they're shadows. Jesus is what it's all about. Okay? He's the substance. They were pointing, all these things pointed to, towards Jesus as the substance of that. So that's Galatians, uh, Colossians. Then you get to Romans. Okay? Now it's quite a long passage, so I won't read it, but you'll find in Romans 14, what you've got there is something different and Paul addresses it differently. You've got certain people who won't eat certain foods and others who are fine eating certain foods and certain people who want to observe certain days and others who don't. And his approach is much less militant, much less because it's a different context. No, no, one's, sort of a, no one's trying to make it a gospel issue. They're just saying, well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, I do and you should too. And it was all about conscience. And he says, listen, his basic uh, uh, counsel to the church in Rome, a mixed congregation battling conscience issues, he says this, Go easy on one another. Give each other room to grow. It's a very different approach. You go, okay, because you've got to know the context, you see, and you can pick it up from the letter. It's a mixed congregation, Jews and Gentiles, and they've got conscience. Some of them go, well, I can't eat that sort of food. Others are going, well, you should be able to. You're free in Christ now. And, and that, that thing going, they say, no, 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 you're not treating each other in love. Let each other's consciences grow to a point where you, you're strong and you understand your, your faith it's kind of strong and you kind of get that you understand gospel freedom and you can do that. But don't be violent to each other. Don't tread over one another's consciences. Give one another space. Okay? So it's really important that we, that we see that. So anyone trying to introduce kind of 
converting to Judaism at its extreme end or making a Gentile do Jewish things in order to be saved needs to be resisted. Anyone wanting to bring judgment on believers who don't do Sabbath in the traditional sense or New Moon or other kind of festivals like that, no, you resist that because these things were a shadow pointed to Christ who's the substance. And in Romans, when it's issues of conscience, then we go easy on each other and we let each other grow and we don't force each other to do things. Does that make sense? Okay, so keep with me now. Early church. Oh no, Hebrews 3, in Hebrews 3 and 4, chapter 3 and 4, a letter to Jewish believers. Um, he points, he talks a lot about this rest that we have in Christ. We'll look at some of these scriptures specifically later. But he really goes in really hard on the whole subject of rest. And what he does is he, he, he points to creation, again, as, as, as God resting as part of that. Um, and, and, and he takes the image of the Old Testament where the people of Israel, uh, Moses' sort of generation, didn't inherit, didn't get into the land. That was their promised land, which was associated with God's rest for them. They didn't get into that because of their unbelief. And he uses this thing. And the main thing to notice, I think, from the Hebrews passage is that the writer doesn't seem to emphasize in his conversation um, observance of the seventh day, but he said emphasizes the rest we experience through faith in Christ whether in this life or the next, it's actually really hard. Really, all, all the commentators seem to disagree with each other, whether he's talking about rest in, rest in terms of knowing Christ in this life or rest in terms of the age to come. Maybe, maybe it's both. But that's the emphasis, that's where he's going. So how do we pull... Oh no, then church history. Okay, so church history. In the Roman world, you didn't get a day off a week, there was a three days per month, all blocked together. Okay, so you'd work every day, and then there'd be a three-day block, and you took it off. The church began meeting on a Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. That's, that, that's the answer to that question. The reason why the church began to congregate on a Sunday was because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. So it was to celebrate the resurrection. It's a new day. It's a new age. That was what that was about. Now, so the church would meet on a Sunday, which wasn't a day off. So the church would either meet early morning or late night. You'd go to work. You'd either go to church, then go to work, or go to work, then go to church. That's the context of the early church which makes a bit more sense in terms of someone falling asleep and dropping out of a window. <laughs> okay? He hadn't spoken all day, they'd probably met after work. Okay? And also in terms of the controversy around bread and wine, when the rich people, remember bread and wine, you're not taking bread and wine properly, judgment's coming on you, because the rich people who work shorter hours would get to the gathering first, eat all the food, drink all the drink, get drunk on the communion wine. The poor people turn up later, work in a longer day, it's all gone. He says, this is awful. So you understand the context, you begin to realise what's going on here. So that is the, that's the Roman rhythm. And that was really church up until about 312 AD, when the Roman Emperor Constantine got converted, who knows, only God knows, but he decided from that point on that Christianity would be the faith of the empire. And what he did from that point on, he made Sunday a special day. So he said, Sunday, Christians can have Sunday off to worship the Lord. That was introduced then. But it was never done as a Sabbath. It was never, this is going to be our Sabbath in that sense. Okay? It was just introduced as a, a day off so that Christians could worship God on that day and not go to work. But it wasn't like a Sabbatarian thing. Um, but the Sabbatarian understanding of it developed over time. And by the time you get to the Puritans in about 1500s, it's a very, very solemn day, essentially marked by what you're not allowed to do. Okay? 
So, um, you know, and literally, you know, you hear literally stories of like, kids can't play with toys unless it's Noah's Ark. Like, seriously, yeah? So that, uh, uh, I, I was, brought, I, I remember we lived with a slightly, um, a brilliant, brilliant, generous Christian family once, but they were quite strong Sabbatarians in terms of Sunday. And uh, I remember once friends coming to knock to ask if I go out to play, and I remember him saying, Stefan doesn't go out to play on a Sunday. And I remember thinking, don't I? <laughs> I thought I did. But <laughs> clearly, okay, clearly I don't anymore. Um, because we were living in their house under their rules. It was a strange situation. But, so you get this kind of thing um, that, that, that developed. Where we're at now is, is that the, the special Sunday idea has been done away with in the last 50 years or so. Shops now open in exactly the same way. There's no legislation anymore about Sundays. So we've completely done away with any sense of that, right? You're wrongly. Um, but the point is this, is that the Western church essentially is the same as the world by choice. That's how it's ended up. Essentially, the Western world is essentially, uh, the sa- the, sorry, the Western church is essentially pretty much the same as, as the world by choice. So um, we, we, we don't, even if you come to church on a Sunday, um, how can I put it? The way in which you process that and the decision uh, that you do to, to make that probably wouldn't be anything to do with the fact that it's a Sunday, just when it's happening. Does that make sense? You go, oh, I'm going because that's when it's happening. There's no point going on a Friday, no one's there. Yeah? So I'm going on a Sunday. But it's not like that's our Sabbath. That's not, that's not the thinking. So how do we put all of these strands together? I hear you ask. Well, humbly, okay, because we know in part. Um, but it has to be consistent. So um, what I'm going to do in the next session is I'm going to show you the centrality of Christ in it all. Because the Bible says there's only one foundation you can lay Jesus Christ. So I want to lay a really, really strong foundation in terms of Sabbath so we understand how that works. Um, and then what we're going to do is we are going to ask, what do we find in the Old Covenant narrative and the Old Covenant commands? What do we find there for us that God is speaking to us? You see, um, we're not under the law. In fact, Gentiles never were. The vast majority of us are Gentiles. We never were under the law. Okay? So we're not under the law. We need to be really, really clear on that. And so covenantally speaking, for Jew and Gentile, we are under no obligation, for example, not to light a fire on a Saturday. Okay? That's not like, no, I don't believe any believer is under obligation for that. Paul, Paul was the most... Paul's phraseology, not under the, under the law. He was the most emphatic, and he was, a, he, was a, you know, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he includes himself in that, so he's not under the law. Um, we will probably clear on that. But, and I do think it's quite a big but, if non-Jewish, as well as Jewish believers, have kept... this much of the Bible, the Old Testament, and said, this is our book, then we need to know what to do with it. Agreed? <laughs> yeah? If, you're gonna, if, we're saying this is, if we say this is scripture, but this is scripture, not just for Jewish believers, but this is, this is the book for the believers, then we really do need to know how we relate to it and how to... Now, there's no doubt about it the fact there's a whole layer to this that Jewish believers have beyond what we have okay this is their national history their cultural history there's there's complexities they are working out within this that make it I would say nowhere near as straightforward as it is for a Gentile believer in terms of what is it what does this look like to 
to, because we never were Jewish. You understand? This, this, this isn't our, this becomes our history spiritually through the fact that we are, we are children of Abraham through our faith. It, it becomes our history, our story, and we, and we love it and we embrace it. But actually, that, 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 that covenant that was given to those people in, in, in the wilderness, there, as, as Gentiles, you look at it, you go, oh, okay, I, how do I relate to that? Which is where we need a lot of wisdom. And if you're not nuanced or if you're clumsy in it, you tend, up, you tend to end up either functionally, just putting it to one side, or functionally embracing things that you don't need to embrace. Or finding yourself under things you don't need to be under. Does that make sense? So we've really got to get that right. And I would say that um, the, the book I want to just quickly mention, which is, I found ever so helpful, is this. This is called Paul and the Law, Keeping the Commandments of God. And he takes, he really just does a very in-depth study of all of Paul's comments and, and, and teaching to do with the law in the New Testament and helps us to sort of say, as believers, what, how, what, what do we do with that? I found it, to be honest, I've, I've, I've thrown this stuff around for years and thought, Lord, what do we, how do we... And I would say for me that this, this has been um, the most helpful book in terms of clarification. It's by uh, Brian Rosner, R-O-S-N-E-R. And um, what, what he says, and this is the framework through which I'm going to do sessions, particularly sessions three and four, is that he, he would say that, the, that the, the primary ways that we are to relate to the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament here, is number one, where's Jesus? Okay, so was pointing, so Christologically, we're looking for Jesus in all of this, which I think is pretty straightforward with things like the offerings. If you look at the offerings in the tabernacle and temple, there's so much typology that helps to fill out the richness of who Christ is and what he did is absolutely wonderful. And it's very straightforward because we all know, well, we don't need to do offerings anymore because Jesus has offered himself. So it's straightforward. You see, the line's quite clear. It's when it comes more to like the moral stuff, particularly like the Ten Commandments and stuff, it, more of that that, that that the wisdom is needed. Now what you've found in the past is that pe- people have parceled out the law. They've spoken about the ceremonial law, um, uh, the moral law, and I think they refer to the other social laws or diff- different ways of putting it. So laws about how to do community, laws about how to live well before God, and, and laws about you know, offerings and, and the Levitical stuff. And people have sort of parceled it out um, and, and, and said, well, these, these two are no longer relevant. This one is. The problem is, is that it's not a very biblical way to approach the Bible. Um, that's not, the, the law is the law. It's, it's the law and the prophecies, the Torah, it's, 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 it's one thing. So it's probably not a very helpful thing to do. And you end up in trouble and there's overlap. And, you know, I think you end up separating, you're pulling together something that shouldn't be pulled together. So instead you have to ask yourself, okay, then in what ways do we relate to the law? The Torah, the old. In what ways do we relate to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant? In what ways? So I think first and foremost, we we're Christ-centered. We look back at it through the lens of Christ, pointing to Jesus. In, in, so much, so much fills out and adds dimensions and wonders to all that we know of Christ, as we see him promised about in the Psalms and all the way through. Okay, so there's that. But covenantally, we're not we're not under the Mosaic covenant. We're under the covenant with Christ. So covenantally, it's not. We're not obliged to do the things it says. But here's the thing that Rosner says. He says it's, it's Christological and then wisdom. It is literally packed full of wisdom. And what he does is he looks at the way Paul uses the law in the way that he exhorts people in the New Testament. And that's obviously key. When Paul draws on the law in the New Testament to teach believers, he looks at how he does that. And he says, what's Paul doing there? Because Paul's saying louder than anyone, you're not under the law. And yet then he pulls the law in to help people know how to live. He says, 
He says, what he's doing is he's showing us the wisdom of God. We're, we're, we're finding incredible wisdom from a God whose nature never changes. And so for us today, I want to help us look through and understand Sabbath through the lens of Christ, Sabbath through wisdom, and then work out where that takes us. Okay? Uh, session one over. Session two. We're going to just talk about Jesus in context of the Sabbath here. Okay? So, we are deeply broken people. Agreed? <laughs> right? So we're driven by pride. We're driven by anxiety. We're driven by fear. And, and all of those sins, like I said this morning, are rooted in the sin of unbelief. That's the biggest sin of all. The chiefest sin of all is unbelief. We don't trust God deeply. And often, even as believers, we hedge our bets. We, we, we don't trust that God will come through for us, whatever that means. And so we tend to build our lives on this kind of, a, often a mixed foundation, if we're honest. If we look at how we, the decisions that we make and, and the rest of it, you can see the blend of, yes, I trust Jesus, and yet also unbelief lurking there. And then we often wonder why we don't experience the deep peace and rest that's promised in the gospel. So we've got to look at this and think about this, okay? Because in Christ is our forgiveness, our acceptance, our love, our rest. He is the substance. The Sabbath was a shadow. He is the substance. He's the body. He's the real, he's the fulfillment. So what that, was, that was pointing to something. The ultimate fulfillment, there's immense wisdom in, this, in, in the Sabbath, We'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a minute, but we're going to build everything on the foundation of Jesus first. So before we think about lifestyle, rhythm, rest, and, and all of that, we've got to lay a foundation of Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. A day of rest here and a holiday there won't touch your soul until you get really clear on Jesus. Okay? Even if it's helpful wisdom, there's, 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 the foundation is Christ. The Bible says all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul talks about everything else being lost compared to knowing him. So, so in comparison to knowing Christ, everything is lost. It doesn't mean everything's rubbish at all. But if you want to begin comparing it to knowing Christ, it is. Does that make sense? So it's not, it's not bad-mouthing the Sabbath for a moment, but if you're going to compare it to knowing Christ, then it's, it's, it's rubbish. Everything is compared to knowing him. And so, we, so I'm deliberately sort of doing something which you could go, oh gosh, I could have said, out of this, well, I know this stuff. Now you've got to know it again. You've got to hear it again. There is freedom in Christ. You are free in it. In, through faith in Christ, you are totally justified before God. You believe that? <laughs> totally, totally justified before God. You're totally right with God. Through faith in Christ, you are clear. You are clear of the debt. You are clear of judgment. You are clear of condemnation. He has taken it all in your place. Through faith in Christ, you are completely right with God. From now on, everything is permissible. Everything. Though not all is beneficial. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Everything's permissible and all is beneficial. 
You're not under the law. You're in Christ. And if you don't, if you don't lay that foundation clearly, and when, here's how you know you've laid it clearly. People should then start saying, so can, we do, can we do what we like then? If it doesn't make you go, well, can we do what we like then? Then you've not understood the gospel. That's why Paul had to respond to that, because he laid it so clearly. It's Christ. He is our justification. He is our righteousness. We are fully right through being united by him by faith. Okay? You're, not un- you're not under anything other than the law of Christ. You're right before God. That's the starting point. Everything else is a signpost. You're in him. It's extraordinary. And so you just go, because unless you, unless you get that, here's what happens. Unless you, get, unless you lay that foundation, there's other stuff, other stuff in the foundation that can make you become a legalist, a moralist, a this or a that. You're not fully laid on Christ. You can just go, oh, okay, I get it. Now, obviously, faith in Christ leads to a brand new heart. You can't come to know Christ without repentance. I know all that. I know all that. But your righteousness before God is a gift to you and the gift is Christ's very righteousness. Do you believe that? And he is perfectly righteous. And so just to understand, I stand before God. And this is why so many Christians, when they have bad days, they don't come near to God, they don't pray, they, they disappear, they don't, because they're not, they don't get it. Is, is, does Jesus have bad days? That wasn't a tra- trick question, guys. Okay, doesn't have bad days. Okay, are you in Jesus? Yeah. Is Jesus always totally welcome in the presence of the Father? Yeah. Are you in Him? Yeah. Therefore, are you welcome totally in the presence of the Father at all times? Yeah. It's massive. You're like, yeah, yeah, I've got this sin. Well, yeah, but you're not going to get rid of it outside of the presence of the Father. Okay, so it, Christ is my qualification in the presence of God. He is my righteousness. He is my boast. Totally him and nothing else. The Jew and Gentile. He, he's, he's the one. He's what it's all about. And uh, that is a huge, huge thing. And I think, I think very often that doesn't get laid clearly. Particularly if you're brought up in church. Because you learn about the lifestyle stuff, you know. And you learn about it. You learn, and all good, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. But what happens is you can just take the outward stuff or take this or take that and you don't realise, oh gosh, I am... The moment I gave my life to Jesus and I was a mess. I was a mess. The moment I gave my life to Jesus, I am no more justified before God today than in that moment. I'm no more right with God today. I've preached a new day. I've done these things. It counts for nothing. (laughs) It counts for nothing. Compared to knowing Christ, it's poo. That's what Paul says, (laughs) Philippians 3. The word he uses. It's rubbish. It's utter rubbish. Okay? And we have to get our head and our hearts clear. You go, I'm laying Jesus as my foundation. I'll tell you, that will liberate you into a life of holiness that nothing else will. Because then the joy starts. It's like someone's opened the windows and, the joy, and you go, whoa, I want to I live for Jesus. It comes out of love. It comes out of there. Rather than, well, I better do that. I better not do that. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's different. Through that miracle of knowing Christ, I know him. His laws are written on my heart. My very inmost being is to do the will of God. The miracles happen. But that's all God's work. So we lay it, we lay it strong, we lay it clear. So we build on that. We build on that. And it, and it creates life, it brings life. It's supernatural, it's Holy Spirit. So, so then when we get into, for example, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 15 to 19. Hebrews 3. 
15 to 19. So it says, As it is said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? There it is. But to those who were disobedient. So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. There it is. Okay? So, so God's making these amazing promises. Moses, Joshua and Caleb are saying, yes. All the others are, are questioning constantly, grumbling. Turning this way, turning that way. Because of their unbelief, they hadn't settled the fact that God was good with them, for them, faithful. That all that he said he was, he was for them and had given himself to them entirely in covenant. It hadn't, it hadn't got deep enough. And so there's this unbelief which keeps them constantly kind of, yes, but, oh no, and looking with their eyes, but the people are huge. And they're constantly doing this. And it actually says because of their unbelief, they couldn't enter their rest. It disqualified them. It disqualified them. It's a very, very um, provoking, challenging passage. Their, their lack of the depth of faith kept them stressed, worked up, Negative, disobedient, and eventually disqualified. I think, oh, mate. Okay. Now we go to chapter 4, verse 11, just pulling out some, this is a fascinating phrase. This is a really fascinating phrase. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Isn't that an unusual phrase? I don't know about you, the majority of times in Christian settings, the word strive is used negatively. This is being used positively. Let us strive to enter that rest. Now it reminds me, if you go quickly to John 6, verse 28. This is what it reminds me of, this really interesting um, interaction between Jesus and some of the Jews of his time. John 6, verse 28. They say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, believe in him whom he has sent. So Jesus knows, listen, unless, unless you really get your faith in me, just in me, in me alone, and confident, deep. You're never, you're never, that, that's it. Out of there, everything flows. And it's the same thing that we strive to enter that rest. What are we saying here? What we're saying, what keeps us from rest? Unbelief. Strive to enter that rest. Believe in the one whom God has sent. And it's so much more than just agreeing to some truths or even praying a prayer. No, 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 no. It is this thing where you go, Jesus, I'm going to make you the cornerstone of my life. The absolute cornerstone. So that everything else that gets built is dictated to by who you are and the shape of who you are. That's new covenant faith. It's, to it's so simple. There's not added this, added that. It's so simple. It's just Jesus, but it's just Jesus. Okay? Just Jesus, but it's just Jesus. And in him are so many dimensions of glory and wonder and beauty and holiness and magnificence. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we have this gift to us. Jesus he says, I will give myself to you completely and my spirit will come and dwell inside of you. He says, just build on me. And rest will come into your life that could never be achieved by all the, all the wisdom and rhythms that are out there if that was your foundation. Okay? The wisdom and the stuff is great. We're going to look at some really good stuff in the next sessions, but that's not the foundation. The foundation is what? Jesus. Then we're going to just spend a little bit of time before this session ends. 
I, I've noticed this. Yeah, let me just say this. It's quite, I've, I've had this thought and I thought, oh, that's a good thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think we sometimes find Buddhists and secular folk and fill in the gap with whatever you want who are more peaceful and rested than believers. So what's the thought? Well, the thought is, well, it can't be that the system's broke. <laughs> Jesus is the truth. It must be that they have given themselves to that system to a far greater degree than we have given ourselves to Christ. And, and therefore, the benefits of that system, which are nowhere near the benefits of Christ, have impacted them more. Imagine if we were to totally build on Christ. Imagine if we were to say, I'm going to trust you and let, really let you be the rabbi. Really let your teaching, we're going to look at that in the next few sessions, really let your teaching shape the decisions, the priorities. I think you would see something extraordinary. I think that's the purpose of God. I think that's what he's looking for. But was what we tend to do, I think very often, mix a bit of the world in, a bit of worldly wisdom, tolerate some of the stuff of the flesh still, and then we think it's not quite firing. Nothing, nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with the, um, the framework. Jesus Christ perfect. Absolutely perfect. But if, if a Buddhist or a New Ager or a secular person can find rest and peace and well-being within that framework, wholly committed to, imagine what believers wholly committed to Christ would look like. It's glorious. It's an absolutely glorious image. So it's a thought. Let's look at Matthew 11 before we end this session. Matthew 11. Let's go back to that very famous verse that we, many of us will know really well. Come to me. All you who labour and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me just say some things on this. Number one, Jesus says, I will give you peace or repose. That's what it means, repose. That sense of, ah, I will give you that. You can't give what you haven't got. Jesus has got perfect shalom, perfect. He knows the peace of God perfectly. And he says, I will give you that. What do I do? Come to me. Okay? Come to me and I will give you that. It's a promise of God. Do you believe it? How deeply? <laughs> See? You've got to believe it deeply. Then he says, take my yoke or learn from me. Now, what we often tend to do, and as I did it earlier, and I think rightly so, we focus on the gift of salvation. In that moment of coming to Christ, we're justified. We're new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Okay? Yes, 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 yes. Having said that, there is something called apprenticeship or discipleship. I.e., he's not just my atoning sacrifice, he's also my teacher. He's my rabbi. You see, when those disciples would have left their nets and followed him, that wasn't, that wasn't actually such a crazy thing. That's what you would do in, in those times. You would often leave everything and you'd commit yourself to your rabbi for a, number, a period of time until you were trained up and able to, to teach yourself. And so it was actually it was, it was something that happened and I'm sure um, still happens today. So it's, it, there's something where you, you say, no, I, this is what I'm going to give myself to, you see. So, so there's something about, so Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burdens come, take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. So Jesus is saying, look, there's a meekness about me. There's a humility about me. I'm all about the will of the Father. That's what I'm all about. I want to teach you about that. Are you willing to learn? Or are you, are you going to insist on having your own little ambitions and things that you also want to do and this, that and the other? It's not the Jesus way. It's not Jesus and, Okay. Jesus and my career desires. It's not wrong to want to have a, But if it's not submitted to him, 
it's, it's, it's operating in your heart in tension against them. Does that make sense? There's so many things, they're not wrong, but if they're not genuine, now I'm trusting you, Lord. If you're not doing that, they become masters, and Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And so you're torn this way and that, and you think, why am I so stressed? Why am I so this? Why am I? Because the reality is you're not doing what Jesus said. You're not coming to him as Lord and teacher and submitting to his teaching and saying, I'm going to go your way. You're reasoning why that one's not relevant. Oh, surely not that. Oh, that hurts a bit much. No, you, you won't find rest in that framework. My fear is, is that it happens a lot. I know from the battles in my own heart, it's so tempting. Because there's not this huge legislative framework. You must this and that. And it's not like that. It's not like that in terms of, you know, lots of external things that each one of us... It's not like that, okay? It's, it, it's the laws of God written on the heart. It's that just desire to please him. It's the righteousness of God we see in his character. We're looking to, to grow in the likeness of that. And so, and so you know, it's, it's, it's not cumbersome externally, but it's, it's so utterly radical. And that's what building on Jesus means. Totally radical giving of yourself to him in every way. And that's a decision you have to make daily. Because there's that once for all, and there are often radical moments God leads us into. They're wonderful. But then there's those daily decisions where you pick up your cross daily, you die to those desires that want to be Lord, hey? and say, I'm going to follow you, and keep walking in joy, peace, rest. Does that make sense? That, but this is, this, is how, this is how Jesus is the foundation of Sabbath. He's gentle and he's lowly in heart. How much of our weariness is rooted in the wrong sort of striving? Pushing. Trying to get ourselves noticed. Recognised. Promoted. How much of it is rooted in there? Self-importance. Trying to prove to ourselves or to others or to imaginary voices or pastors or spouses or friends or flatmates or parents. It's exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Committed to the will of the Father. Come and learn. Come and learn. That's an easy yoke. That's a light burden. So, now just to say this before we get into session three, I know it's crazy pace. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus' pace himself, his pace of life was varied. Sometimes he didn't have enough time to eat. So much so his, his family thought he'd gone mad. So it wasn't like he was always just like, yeah, cool guy. You know, sometimes it was crazy. Okay? But also there was lots of time withdrawing to be with God. There was lots of time in desolate places to pray. There was lots of time to take his inner circle away to rest. So, so it's not a case of kind of this kind of weird sort of life where it's always exactly kind of monotone in its pace. It's not that at all. But if you look at Jesus, he was never harried. Do you understand? Like he's going to raise Jairus' daughter from death and then the woman touches his cloak and he stops and he has time for her. Can you imagine what, do you imagine what Jairus' face would have been like in that moment? Imagine the pressure. Like you can see him in the corner of your moving like, what you, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you think he's able to minister to that woman. Lazarus, your friend, he's, he's, on, he's died. You know, Jesus loved him, so he waited two days before he went. You think, what's going on there? The pressure, the people, I thought we loved him. Why is he, why is he waiting around? So it's not about, there aren't, of, course there's all, of course there's busy seasons. We'll look at that in a moment. But there's this sense in which he's going, I'm not under the agenda of others. Yeah? It's not what I'm living under. I'm, I, I am looking to live in obedience to the Father's will. That's Jesus' yoke. And he says, come to me, take it on, and you'll find rest for your soul.
Amazing. Okay, end of session two. We're back on time. Here we go. Now, this, this session here may be, may be described as getting practical, okay? But it's still deeply spiritual, okay? So you might, some of you that are more practical might be thinking, right, now we can get down to the practicalities. This is, uh, what I just did was very, very practical. Deeply, deeply practical. And this is deeply, deeply spiritual. So please don't, don't develop a thing where those two things are, are, are separated out. I don't think that's really helpful. So just to say, so to sum up so far, we're not covenantally obligated to rest in the prescribed way or to cease from work in the prescribed way from Sunset Friday to Sunset Saturday, okay? And we're not to allow anyone to judge us in that regard if we don't. And if someone chooses to do so from a place of gospel freedom, we're not to judge them, okay? It's cool. So as long as you don't make it a gospel issue, if people choose to do that, that's absolutely fine, okay? So that's a really important foundation there. Um, People make it a matter of covenantal obligation or justification or qualification in Christ, then we have to resist it firmly because it becomes something that is moving us away from Christ. Only Jesus makes us right with God. And um, so we've got both, but obviously lifestyle matters. Like lifestyle really, really matters. It's hard to say that you're in Christ if you're sleeping around. It's hard to say you're in Christ if you're going shoplifting at the weekend or during the week. It's hard to, it's hard, it's, hard, it's, hard, it's, hard, it's hard to say you're in Christ if you're, if you're doing stuff that's out of kilter. Sooner or later, someone's going to say, hey, the tree's known by its fruit. Yeah? So don't hear what I'm not saying here. An empty profession of Christ is not the same as being justified only in Christ. Yeah? An empty profession of Christ is nonsense. But if you're justified freely in Christ, it will lead to all kinds of wonderful fruit. But there is only one foundation in your life, and it's Jesus. That makes sense. Do you see what I'm getting? I get really radical and really angry in a righteous way about that. Because it's like, he's the only foundation. Okay? But when he is your foundation, boy, radically changes everything. Okay? And, and we know that Jesus is the same yesterday and today forever. He shows us perfectly the image of the Father. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see revelation of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are to humbly and uh, uh, wisely take what, what are we being taught here. So let's think about creation. In creation, we've got focused and boundaried work. So God got a very focused creation. And it's boundary at the end of six days, done. Followed by delighted rest. Now, bear in mind that for mankind, this would have been their first day. They're made on day six. Their first full day is a day of rest. How cool is that? Your first full day. You've been busy being made on day six. <laughs> and your first full day you experience, in that sense. There's something wonderful in there for us. It's a gift. It's something, you know, what a gift. Wow. And then also notice this is really interesting. In some of the reading and listening I've done, someone said this, I thought, this is great. The week is introduced into uh, life as a rhythm with no cosmological significance. You've got the year where the earth travels around the sun. You've got the lunar month. You've got the day where the earth spins on its axis. What's the week? Cosmologically, nothing. 
but it's there. You go, God, that's got to mean something. There's got to be something. There's got to be something going on there. Hold on. Any any wise person is going to go, Ooh, that's special. Why is that there? Okay, so you just go, ah. You're starting to see stuff. You go, oh, this. We've got to take notice of this. There's something going on here, really special. There's 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 a gift to us. Boundaried work, then it stops. Delighted rest, weekly rhythm. Oof. This is okay. This is not to be, you know. Don't don't move on from that. That's really really great. And then when we think, if we think about the Exodus story that we looked at earlier, regime change. What an amazing thing. Out of Egypt, which represented kind of worldliness, and the Pharaoh represented satanic regime, satanic kind of uh, overlord, out of that, and you're into a new regime, and one of the most important things is this, you've got to rest. Oh, I mean, isn't that amazing? You've got to rest. You can't just keep working. You've got to, no, no, that, that, that won't do you any good. It's going to destroy you. You've already had that. No, it's different now. You've got to rest. Really, really, really. It's wonderful. You go, okay, it's so solemn. It's not a light thing. If you don't do that, we might have to just put you to death. You think, that's a bit harsh. Well, do you know what? If everyone starts doing that, everyone's, everyone's just on the road to destruction anyway. Maybe we might have to make a, make a, a bit of a subject, object lesson of one or two. <laughs> to teach the masses, guys, this is important. You don't listen, it goes wrong. Okay, so you go, okay, all right. You're not the captain of your own destiny. It's not, if I just do more, no, in plough time, you rest. But if I just, no, no, no. It doesn't all hang on, on what you put in. There's something beyond that. But in harvest, we've got it. no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. But we rest. But we, not trust. Okay. You see? You go, and it hits those points in you. You go, okay. I get it. It's not about self-reliance. It's just about my productivity. It's not just, it's just not, that's not good enough. And so where, where do we, what, we start to pull these through. We start to pull them into our lives. See, what's the wisdom? What's, what can we, what can we, what's God giving us here? What, what, what's, what's wisdom for us to really take seriously? Focused and boundaried work. I just uh, the menace, the, the menace to focused and boundaried work. Okay. What you do with this, what this does to you. We talk about this a little bit. Session four. We get even more practical. Focused and boundaried work. Done my work, my work is done. Delighted rest without guilt or shame. Delighted rest without guilt. Not a day off to do your family chores and your admin tasks and your this and that. Delighted rest without guilt or shame. That's completely different to so many people. God did his work. And then he rested, and we're told that God delights in the works of his hands. He rested. That's what I've made. That's what I've made. Does this sound like your life? 
Well, no, I'm not, you know, but these are, I'll do, my, I'll do my testimony session four, so you know, no one's judging anyone. Um, I think the weekly rhythm, instead of going nuts for weeks with a holiday at the end, there's such wisdom in that. Just this whole thing of, yeah, I'm, just, I'm stacking it up. I'm stacking it up. To, <laughs> and I'm going to have a holiday. You're not. You're going to be in trouble when you stop. You're not doing anything fun when you stop. You're in bits. Yeah, because you've not honoured this wisdom there. You've not honoured. There's something introduced there totally apart from, totally God's, there's something here for you. Made in my image. I've modelled it to you. Something here for you. What? Are you taking notice of that? Really important. I do think, I do think, I think it also, I mean, it's fascinating with the, 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 the two-day weekend in the West. That's a really interesting one. I think the roots of that are in the fact that it was, it, there was, it was the Jewish Gentile thing in the New World. I think in, apparently in America with the settlers, there was someone wanted Saturday, someone wanted Sunday, they said we'll do two days. <laughs> apparently, if that's true. So um, you get the, the five and the two. I mean, so, you know, if you wanted to be wise on that, what could you do? Well, you could work five. You could do a load of admin tasks on one and rest and delight on another. That would be, as far as I'm concerned, gospel framework, a really wise way of approaching it. Some, you know, if you're a fireman, you do four days on and three days off. You've got to work it out, okay? And you know, I'm not. It's, again, it's not like it doesn't come like it's not that. It's a gift. There's something in the weekly rhythm, okay? Within what God has called me to do as a job and how that works, how can I apply that? See? Just wisdom. What is that? What is it? How can I, how can I do my best in that to really kind of um, allow God's restoration, not in terms of in, the, in, a, in a kind of an eternal salvation sense, but allow God's restoration in my soul that He promises is part of knowing Him to take place. How can I? How can I work that out? How can I allow that? Some things to think about there. Expecting healing and restoration through a rhythm that enables a significant focus on Jesus and helps us to do that daily. So you say, I'm going to, do, I'm going to change my rhythm. There will be a day where I will learn how to rest and delight in him and learn how to be restored in that. And it doesn't mean you're going to church services all day. It's not, okay? This could be part of that, okay? But it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be, okay? But you, where you go, I'm going to just be in that in that place before God, and expecting Him to bring a restoration, so that I am in better shape as I live for His glory the following week. It's not just for that; it's to just simply delight. But a wonderful byproduct is there's a restoration, whereby I'm in I'm in better shape the following. Does that make sense? Rather than you become an increasingly ratty over six weeks, followed by a holiday where you're exhausted. And you go again. That's not the best, it's not the wisest move. Um, when, when, it helps to renew the mind, okay? So God is not Pharaoh, always driving us to hard work. He's not violent. It's important, isn't it? I think sometimes if you get brought up in a Protestant church, the Protestant work ethic, you can kind of accidentally begin to equate that with God just always wants us to work, you know? <laughs> And it's like, okay, well, I don't. I think you'd struggle to argue that. I think you struggle. I think Jesus. Jesus did. It's an interesting one. I've thought about this because some people say, well, Jesus did lots of healing and stuff on the Sabbath. So, you know, maybe even on our day of rest, we should do loads of stuff for God. I think, well, you could argue it that way. You could argue that, I suppose. But you're putting yourself in Jesus' shoes there, 
rather than the guy with the withered hand. <laughs> so how do you want to look at it? You could say, well, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, so wow, you know, if I have a day of rest, God's going to do a lot of ton of healing and restoration in me. I'll leave it with you to consider. Trusting God enough to rest. As I said this morning, the work is never done. Beware the trap. It's never done. So don't wait till it's done. Leave it. That's, to some, it's harder than others. <laughs> leave it. Leave it hanging. That's, that's part of how we trust God. It is. You leave it hanging. I think, you know, talking to people that have kind of, you know, observed Sabbath in a healthy way, there's a growing amount of literature out there, not just Jewish, but also Gentile, where people are going, we are in trouble in the West. Okay? We are in trouble. Trust me. If we don't take action and learn wisdom in terms of rhythm and stuff like that, we're, we're in big trouble. And what you're finding is growing up through various different church movements that there's, there's such wisdom that is being um, sort of promoted and, and, and placarded because it's like people can see what's going on in the lives of Christians where they just feel constantly at, at, at the mercy of factors, pressures. It's just huge, absolutely huge. Um, and then resting from work doesn't mean ceasing from everything. What will you do as was raised? What will you do? And I, I think there are so many things that are different from the norm that are God-glorifying and good for the soul. Yeah? So many things that are different from the norm. It's not work. It's not to-do list. It's not stuff you... Because it's delightful. It's delightful. The nature of it is, is totally in line with God's will. And it's not, you know, there's nothing, you know, it's just good. It's, you know, it's wholesome. It's holy. It's good, you know? Delightful. Restful. Right? It's just, and it's good for the soul. And... Um, so I'm going to, we can do Q&A now, 15 minutes, okay? So I've got through that, because I've started to get a bit more practical now. The next session, what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell my story a bit. Then many of you will be becoming familiar with this, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a, it's a really interesting book by a guy called John Mark Comer. He does a chapter on slowing. <laughs> I'm going to go through with some of you, with all of us, I'm going to go through it with you. Um, <laughs> sorry. The reason I say some of you is because I think some of you, any of you on lead? Any of you on lead? Like, yeah, so some of you have already done it, so that's what was in my thinking. But I'll do it with all of you, so some of you heard it already, sorry. And then I'm going um, I'm, I'm to really, really do some stuff on this. So that's the final session. So, okay, any questions on what I've just said in this life? Yeah, Vivian.
Vivian. There's a lot there. There's a lot of content in there. Um, it's hard to know. Hard to know how to most helpfully respond because there's, there's there was a few things in there. So what I'll try to do is just help to speak through the the principle by which I've been operating. Okay. So the way that we try our best to understand what what how we are to apply what we find in the Old Testament is through the teaching in the New Testament about the Old Testament. Okay, so you refer to circumcision and rightly so. Okay? So what I've done is I've taken to some scriptures, for example, particularly Colossians 2, where it says that the Sabbath is the shadow, Christ is the substance. Okay? And I've, wanted to, I've tried to argue that from the New Testament that the essence of our Sabbath rest is not Sunday, but is Jesus. 24-7. Okay? But then what I've tried to do is to extract wisdom from the Old Testament about the, the weekly rhythm. And so I think there's a wisdom in there for us to honour. Now, I know not everyone would agree with that. I'm fine. But I feel like biblically, it's consistent with itself. I don't think you can argue strongly from the New Testament that Gentile Christians need to observe the Sabbath. I don't, well, you can't. And so that's why I'm not. Okay? So my understanding of an application of what we find in the Old Testament is rooted on the teaching we find in the New Testament. That would be the same for marriage, that would be the same for um, sexuality, all these things that feature in the Old Testament, that would be the same for all the stuff that gets then mentioned and re-mentioned by Jesus and the Apostles, you're trying to work out what are they saying and do your best to apply that and understand that, otherwise you end up with a, an inconsistent framework, because if you, want to, if you want to start putting yourself under that, i.e. you're saying we ought to, we need to do that, then you put yourself under the whole law, the Bible says. Okay? So, so if, if that's what you're saying, then you're under the whole law, and I don't agree for one minute, and wouldn't allow people in the church to believe for one minute that we are under the whole law. That is actually anti-gospel teaching. Okay? So... Mm-hmm. And then we are doing foolish 
Again, there's quite a lot of content in that comment. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't describe what we're doing on Who Let The Out as soulish or worldly. I think that it's just that we are not gathering in the same way that we normally do. The Bible says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, eating or drinking, do it unto the Lord. So we tend, so what we're saying is, is we do all things unto the Lord. So even though there's an explicit gathering on a Sunday to do that, that we honour and love to do, that is a very, very small part of my worship. My worship is that I offer my body to the Lord as a living sacrifice 24-7. That's my act of worship, our act of worship. That's what we believe is, is the most healthiest approach to that. Also, I wouldn't, we, are, we don't, the day of the, I'm, I, what I'm trying to argue for is that the day of the Lord, which is referred to as a Sunday a couple of times in the New Testament, is not an equivalent to the Sabbath. I don't think you can argue that those two are reinvented in the, in, in the same way. The day of the Lord is referred to as a Sunday because it's the day that he rose from the dead and traditionally will gather and worship on that day. But you know what, we'll do Wednesday night. You know what, we'll, we'll, we'll do running partners after lunchtime on a, on a Tuesday. We're not bound in that sense, okay? So if, for whatever reason, we had to meet on, a, on another day, I think, oh, tradition is to meet on a Sunday because he rose from the dead. But if we have to, we have to. So, for example, a lot of churches in the Middle East will have to meet on a Friday because of the, the legislation they're under by those nations. But they still celebrate the resurrection. So we're not, we're not bound or under those things, and that's, that's where we live. I'm really happy to carry on the, co the conversation with you after this, really, really up for that. I need to make sure other people also get a chance to ask questions. Yeah. Um, it's not very well formed, but I'm just wondering about what you've learned about giving yourself to Jesus and giving yourself to church. And you might be coming with this, but I think sometimes for me, giving myself to church is basically a busyness. Mm -hmm. And how do you get that? Yeah. Sure. Um, giving yourself to church and giving yourself to Jesus. I think probably like maybe, maybe even the Mary and Martha thing is quite a helpful kind of framework, you know, in the sense of something comes first. I think what comes first is prioritising um, kind of... Whether it's alone or corporately, I don't think it will, I think sometimes we immediately go to the individual, but whether it's alone or corporately, um, praise, listening, in the word, um, prayer, just that kind of sense in which we know that the Lord is feeding in to us and that we are, we've got that posture of being before him. I think, I think that is a priority and I think if that begins to get overtaken just by serving, we'll find ourselves disturbed, we'll find ourselves with too many things in our mind. So it's making sure that in the rhythm of our life that is, that is prioritised. And here's the thing I would say, I think very often Maybe you're nothing like me. Some of you probably are. I'm not saying it's tongue-in-cheek. Probably way more spiritual than me. But I think sometimes I can, I can tick the Mary box, but it's been more like Martha. So I've had a quiet time, but I've not actually stilled myself before God. My mind's been going ten to the dozen. I've not, I've not, I, I, I did it, but I didn't. Does that make sense? And what I'm arguing really for here is just saying that learning how to really slow ourselves down before the Lord. And I think that if you, if, if, I think that a day, a week, where that is perhaps, there's a bit more space to, to focus on that a bit more, will set you up really well for building those habits into seven days a week, 24 7. Does that make sense? Have I answered it? Yeah, kind of. I just have like part of the moment, like where you're at in what you're doing. I suppose, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if basically, I think it's about prioritising 
fellowship with the Lord. As soon as you stop doing that, whether it's serving church or lying in bed, things get out of whack. So I think it's about, you know, come to me. Just learning how to come to me, to abide in him and dwell in him and keep just saying, this is the, this is the meat and drink of, of what I do, whether running partners with others, just really meeting the Lord together. You know, it's nothing got to be alone, but it's just real rich time in his presence, I think. Just keeping that as the absolute priority is totally the key. Otherwise, things become demoralising. You know, I forgot why I'm doing this, you know. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's a, in the question, both of them, it could be a feeling of, okay, Sunday is my Sabbath because we worship then, but actually all the things that I'm doing are quite like, feel like work because I'm getting yeah. up early, I'm here yeah. to serve, I'm doing this meeting routine, it's yes. going to be available. Yes. At the end of the day, it yes. wasn't actually yes. work, there was actually work. Yep. Therefore, what is Sunday's Sabbath or should yes. it actually yeah. be? Okay, I think in, if, you're go, if, you're going to, if you're going to have a day, a week that's a bit more um, kind of about rest and delight, it doesn't have to be Sunday. It could, you know, it, you're not under... And what I'm not saying is, is that, as a, I've, I've not said, and I need to keep unsaying because people keep hearing it, I'm not saying Sunday is Sabbath. I've never said that. Biblically, that is not, I'm not saying that, okay? That, that's a church tradition that has grown up historically, okay? Remember the early church? They met on Sunday because Jesus was raised from the dead, but they were working all day. Okay? It wasn't the Sabbath, okay? But they met on that day to, to worship and praise the Lord. I, I don't know how, I don't know my church history in terms of early church well enough to know how those, how those Gentile believers would have begun to uh, um, input on this idea. I'd love to do more reading on that to find out, to find out more. It'd be fascinating. But I'm, what I'm saying is, you've got to, but then within it also, I think you've also then got to, got to think through, is there something wrong with the way I'm doing church? Not because of Sabbath, just as a question in and of itself. Does that make sense? Really important question. You've got to ask that, but it has to be a separate question from that, otherwise it gets mixed up. Yeah. Do you mean like your job? Yeah, or like if you're doing what you should be doing. The Bible says let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I think just to, to, to live in the peace of Christ, the Holy Spirit is a wonderful teacher, guide. If, we're, if, we, if our heart is open to God and we're stepping out of line on things, he'll show us. If we listen, we can get back in line. I mean, it's, it's not, I think some of those Christians can get overcomplicated about it. I think it's almost like, what's it, love God and do what you want. Who was the famous Christian who said that? Was it Augustine? I can't remember. Love God and do what you like. Because if you really love him, you know, basically you'll, you'll want to do what he wants, your heart will be right. And then, but I think sometimes Christians get so worked up about, Lord, what's the job for me? It's like you're getting into a dynamic there. I just can't see that dynamic anywhere in Scripture. It's like everything's make or break. It's not, no, it's just love God and do what you like. But if you get a check and niggle in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, listen to that. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. We're at the end of the session. There'll be more, qu- more, 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 more questions answered at the next session. Um, good to be really wrestling this stuff through with you guys. And um, if there's going to be robust conversation, that's great. Let's keep it out in the open. Let's do it in the spirit of love. Um, and let's learn how to do this stuff well. We're all looking to find the will of God. None of us are looking to 
insult anyone or dismiss anyone or say anything out of turn. We're just looking to grapple with and be as consistent as we can biblically. Okay? Two minute break. Here we go, session four. I'm going to start by just telling you my story, uh, how God had to deal with me in terms of rhythm. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm going to do this stuff on slowing. It's quite fun. And do some stuff. Just for the sake of those listening on the recording, Tudy pointed out that when I waved around my phone earlier and said it was a menace, you wouldn't know what I was waving around. So that was my phone. I was waving around <laughs> said it was a menace. Thank you, Tuli. Uh, okay, so here's my story. Um, just, I won't spend ages, but just quite helpful. March 2018, I had a dream, no, about January 2018, I had a dream from God about two dreams, same dream twice. When you get the same dream twice, you've really got to listen. And I was in a car with uh, Melody, Davina and Melody, driving the car. As we were driving along, suddenly all the lights started flashing. Pulled the brakes, the brakes didn't work. Um, I had the dream twice. I knew, because you know God's kind, I knew in my spirit it was about my pace, it was about things were out of control, I was saying yes to too much. Um, I was doing two jobs, we're at half time for Rev, half time for RM. It wasn't 50 50, it was probably 75 75. Um, and it just wasn't wise. And so uh, I thought, I've got to do something about this. We really felt the, 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 the seriousness about it. So we got a group of really serious people in the room with myself and Davina. We got Mike Betts in, we got Morris Nightingale in, two other guys on the apostolic team with me. We got Luke and Rich in, we got Malcolm in, we got Andy Crawley in. Okay? Spent a whole evening, yeah. The whole evening, going, talking about it, talking about my pace, talking about this, got to make some changes. Everyone agreed. Everyone agreed. Everyone said, yeah, totally, we're for, we're for this. We're, this is so right. I confess that I find a strange, macabre kind of satisfaction in driving myself into the ground. You know, everything was going as it should have done, right? Hearts getting searched and all that, blah, blah, blah. Meeting finished, nothing changed. Nothing changed. And the reason why nothing changed is this. I didn't change anything. So in November, I got ill. I normally get ill about once a year. I'd be ill for about 24 hours, 48 hours and bounce back. I didn't. And within the first, within the first 24 hours, I knew this was something more than just an illness. I knew it was God's going, okay, fine, for Paul the handbrake. Really merciful, but really, really merciful. And I, I entered this, I was ill for three weeks pretty much. Into a period of deep, deep reflection. And uh, just realised, I mean, yeah, I mean, spent the last, been married 22 years, spent the last 22 years of my marriage waiting for Davina to catch up. Bad. Like, bad. She does not operate at the pace I operate at. She's a different person. But this sinful assumption, she'll catch up. Wondered why she looked like she'd rabbit in the headlights for the last however long. Bad. So God starts dealing with me. You basically, you're just you're driving yourself into the ground and, and everyone around you. You just go, oh Lord. And, and, and then, you know, I start to feel a bit better. Start to want to get straight back in. Davina's like, why can't you convalesce? And we'd, it's been a really interesting moment. In a little queue about two years ago, eavesdropping on a conversation, someone said, people don't convalesce anymore. Convalesce means that you've been ill and then you're better, but then you rest. So people don't convalesce anymore, they go straight back in. I reported it to Davina, wished I never had because she was, she's always talked about convalescence now. <laughs> so she's like, she's like, you've got to convalesce. I start, I start fighting it. Why? Here's why. Every extra day I'm not going into work, in my head, 
I'm letting people down. That's what it is. I'm letting people down. I don't have the courage to let people down, so my family suffers instead. I mean, this is ugly. I'm being honest with you, but because, well, you know, if, if, it's, if it's the best way I can serve you, I'll do it, right? I'm not getting, it's not cathartic, okay? But it's, I'm trying to serve you. This is ugly. It's the underbelly of passionate, zealous Christian leader. There's some dynamics that are just really, really bad. My day off was a Saturday. I said I'd have a day off on a Saturday. Why? Well, because that's what everyone else has. Most pastors have a Monday off. I'm not going to do that because Saturday I'm not always working. Everyone else, they just have Saturday and then they come to church and say, oh, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'll have a Saturday off. Was it ever off on Saturday? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. Part of what I did on coming back from this was I, 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 I gathered and Andy Crawley, Malcolm and Ruth and I said, you guys need to help me. Can you please be a team for me now? All invitations that come through, I will not say yes or no until I run it by you. We meet once a month as a team and I put everything out there. You tell me, give me, tell me what are the boundaries. And they went to work. It was amazing. I said, right, you're allowed to work. They, they said, so when's your diary planned up to? This is this early December. I just got back from you. When have you planned your diary up to in terms of me being in charge at, at the helm? I said, well, it's up to the end of February. Let's have a look at it. So he looked at it and he said, so your day's off on a Sunday? I said, yeah. Just look at January and February. Your, your day's off on a Saturday? Yeah. Look at January and February, you're working six out of eight Saturdays. Do you ever take days off in lieu? No. Bad. But I found a weird kind of, yeah, in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see what I'm saying? Bad. But that was what was going on. So, we're now in March, so things, the rhythm now changes. But since December, taken... Friday off um, and uh, for rest and delight. Saturday, I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to work one day, one Saturday a month, Andy Cordy said. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, things come up on Saturdays, don't they? You know, pastor thing might pop up or something like that, or, you know, suddenly, um, just loads of family chores and stuff like that. So I'm trying now, obviously, for me, Sunday, it is just a day of work. It is. I'm normally out of the house before seven. And normally, you know, work in the evening. So for me to have that as my day, I think, is different from people who don't do what I do for a living. But that's a decision I've had to make. So God has, God has dealt with me really kindly because essentially I saw the warning signs, called the meeting, made no changes. Um, I now have. And here's the strange thing that I've found as a result. It's really took me by surprise. The kids would always say to me, Dad, what are you looking forward to? And I'd say, nothing. And my reason would be, i say, I'm just, I'm in the moment. I'm an in the moment kind of guy. I didn't know what else to say. Felt a bit weird, but uh, that sounds that sounds cool, you know. And then uh, <laughs> since changing the rhythm, I've found hope start growing in me. I'm not talking about eternal hope; that's there, but just hope about life. Just found myself looking forward to things. Took, totally took me by surprise. I thought, what's going on here? And what I've realised is this: is that really just taking that day once a week, in, just in a godly way, just a lot of, a lot of stillness. Um, just, you know, restorative things. It's changed me. It's changed, and it's changing me. Um, you know, me, still you'll, you'll be glad now. I've, slow, I've, slow, I've tried to, okay, but doing at what pace do you work? I'm going to travel at that pace. And then, so we can walk together. So, okay, repentance there. Still learning, but we're, we're a lot better. We're a lot, lot better. 
and just found her levels of safety and flourishing just go through the roof. You go, what an idiot, you know. So part of me is saying, don't be like me. <laughs> I'm 46. Should have learned this. I've taught days on rhythm and rest. And I'm not even a deliberate hypocrite. It's not deliberate. But I've taught it. And here's the thing I've realised. Jesus says, wisdom is vindicated by our actions. It's not by what you know. It's by what you do. And I just wasn't doing it. So it's been revolutionary. And, um, you know, um, Jesus is my foundation. But, but now my life has a godly rhythm to it. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing. And I just want to encourage you guys to work out within, within what God has called you to do, what that might look like. Um, I'll go straight to the phone, then I'll do this. This thing has been absolutely huge in it. Absolutely huge. And I've taken all of the radical steps needed. So no longer an email browser on there. No longer emails on there. No notifications except for people calling me come through. So if I want to look at WhatsApp or messages, I'll have a look at but nothing's coming through. Why? Because I'm being bombarded. And I've realised that the dynamic of my life was that there's always things flying in. And it's like, do you know what? And it was affecting the way I, could, I couldn't be still before God and just meditate on his word of focus. I, I, I was, you know, I'll tell you the truth about my relationship with God. It was like my old car. That's what it was like. And here's what it was like. It would get you from A to B. But when you stop and listen to it, when it's just sitting by the road and the engine's running, you'll go, that ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was like. That's what it was like. I was scatterbraining around here, there and everywhere, becoming increasingly undernourished. God's merciful, God's kind, you know. Thankfully, I didn't, you know, I didn't sort of spin into any, you know, kind of spin headlong into like, you know, sin. But this was bad and at its root was sin. At its root was sin, trying to prove myself to myself and others, trying to get a claim for being a martyr. It's ugly, <coughs> ugly, ugly, ugly. And I've found that since I've just got in charge of this thing, that's what I call it now, today, it's called a thing. <laughs> There's just, I'm not being pushed and pulled around by it. That's one of the things that was pushing and pulling me around. It's not anymore. And I would, as soon as I got stressed, I would pick it up and start pressing buttons. You know that? I found myself doing it. As soon as a stressful thought came in, I'd be dunk, 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 dunk. I'd go, what's that? I just thought to what's that a minute ago. Well, we'll go again. A little rhythm of buttons, I would, apps I would press, dunk, dunk, dunk. Now, what am I doing? Yeah. I, I wasn't going to the Lord. I was finding some sort of comfort in what you know the, the, the dopamine thing. Alice talked about the other week in a sermon. The dopamine hits when someone oh yeah, someone's been in touch. Someone loves me. Phew, you know. <laughs> like the king of the universe loves me. Do you know what I mean? Like what am I doing? Do you see what I'm saying? Ah, so so weird. Anyway, John Mark Comer and his book. Really good. Really really good book. I I, I don't wholeheartedly agree to him um, with him on his understanding of the Sabbath because he says. Jesus did the Sabbath, so we should too. And I'm going, yeah, but Jesus was a Jew under the law. We're not. So, you know, I just think his, his, his logic needs thinking through, okay? But in terms of his practice, I think it's absolutely first class. And I just think he's, 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 he's on the money. So he says a few things to slow your life down. You'll love some of these. So drive the speed limit. Um, this is a really funny one. Get into the slow lane. So when we drove home from Leeds, we had Levi in the car and Kerry in the car. And we found ourselves in the slow lane. And of course, my instinct was I was just about to... And, and Kerry went, oh, we're going to slow lane. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just talk that. So, so really helpful. Really, really... Because it's just habits, isn't it? Habits. So really helpful. So we just sat in it. And it was 
This is the great news. Wow. Sounds crazy, but if all you're always doing is rushing, it does something to you. It just does something to you. Come to a full stop at stop signs. These are all driving ones. Don't text and drive as driving one. Here's, this is fun. Show up 10 minutes early for an appointment without your phone. <laughs> what could you do with 10 full leisurely minutes? Bring back coffee table magazines from the late 90s. Chat with a human being waiting beside you. <laughs> Read a book. Here's an idea. What if you prayed? Get in the longest checkout in the grocery store. The longest line. See, this is... But you see what I'm saying? It hits stuff in the soul. Because in your head you're, in your head you're going, in your head you're going, if I join that queue, I'll be out of here two minutes earlier. Just, just, just stop for a minute on that logic. So what? Like, so what? No, that's really, that's really meaningful. Well, how? Well, then I'll be able to get there ten, two minutes earlier. Then what? Then I can rush and do something else. Like, what the heck? Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. <laughs> That's what I did. So you, you make, yeah, turn it into a dumb phone. Take email off, all social media off. Um, I haven't done that, but I think I will. D disable your web browser, delete all notifications. Ditch news apps, or at least news, news alerts. They're, they're the devil. <laughs> um, uh, set your phone to grayscale. This does something neurobiologically that I'm not smart enough to explain but something to do with decreasing dopamine, dopamine addiction, addiction. I've done that. It's true, it's so boring how you look at it. Point. Uh, this is fun. Parent your phone. What he means by that is this. He says, our phones go to bed at the same time as our kids, 8.30pm. We literally set them to airplane mode and put them in a drawer in the kitchen. Otherwise we burn time and end up frying our brains with blue screens rather than winding down for bed. And then, you, and then keep your phone off until after your morning quiet time. So it's not like rocket science, but you go, I wasn't doing this. I wasn't doing this. I tell myself I was. I wasn't. Um, the stats are ominous. 75% of, of people sleep next to their phones. 90% check our phones immediately upon waking. Do not let your phone set your emotional equilibrium and your newsfeed set your view of the world. Good stuff. Um, set times for email. Set times for it. Pretty much every self-help writer, time management guru, workplace efficiency expert, opinion blogger, etc. all say the same thing. Do not have email on your phone. Do not glance at it when you get a free moment in the elevator or in a boring meeting. Do not answer random emails throughout the day. Instead, set a time to do email and stick to it. So I can only do it on my laptop now. So I do it at that time. Oops. Kill your TV. Uh, it's just, it's, just, it's quite interesting. So here we go. Uh, so he's saying he's never bought a TV. Basically, that doesn't mean so much now with online streaming. He says even more than social media, TV and its sibling film consumes the lion's share of our so-called free time. For the average American, it's over five hours a day or thirty-five hours a week. No, it's lower for millennials, but that's only because we spend so much time on social media. We are more addicted to entertainment, not less. It's, it's the one addiction for which binging is still socially acceptable. So, um, Unless you think my crusade is just against time wasted, remember what we give our attention to is the person we become. For good or evil. As my parents used to tell me, garbage in, 
garbage out. Every single thing that we let into our minds will have an effect on our souls. If you fill your mind with fornication and wildly unrealistic portrayals of beauty or romance and sex or violence and the quest for revenge or cynical secular sarcasm that we call humour or a parade of opulent wealth or simple banality, what shape do you think that will give to your soul? This is great. Single task. One of the reasons I'm so pharisaical about my phone, email and social media is because I've come to realise the obvious multitasking is a myth. Literally. Only God is omnipresent. I inhabit a body, a body that can do only one thing at a time. Multitasking is, ju- multitasking is just sleight of hand for switching back and forth between a lot of different tasks so I can do them all poorly instead of doing one well. Walk slower. <laughs> Walk slower. Brilliant. Take a regular day alone for silence and solitude. Some of these others aren't so good, but... <laughs> the ones that I liked. But there we go. So look, there's just some tips there. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to just email out some reflection questions for you guys so you've got something to count. We'll do that to the whole church, but just some questions. So like, um, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. How real is that to you? Um, are you happy with your relationship with your phone? Um, is your work focused and boundaried or out of control? Are you constantly picking up this, picking up that, being to, to are you happy with your weekly rhythm? Just seems some things for you to think about, talk about with your running partners, GCs. We want to be, we want to finish well, right? We want to finish our race well and strong for Jesus. We want the shape of our soul, our inner man, woman, to be more Christ-like every year, to be growing and growing and growing. We want to take that really seriously. Um, and we want to help each other live wisely, help each other make good decisions and... Um, but at the end of the day, I will just say this. At the end of the day, Jesus said, Mary chose. You choose. You choose for you. You can't lean on someone. You can't accountability someone into, you can't force someone. You choose. But if, I think when you see the, the benefits, it's highly motivating to make some really good decisions. Okay, we've got 10 more minutes for Q&A, then we're done. Tuli. Who does, the, who does the cooking? <laughs> no, sorry, yeah. So that's what Davina said. Who does the cooking? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Take away. Uh, yeah. Do you find yourself in the presence of a martyr? I think there have been situations where, like you said, you can just feel them, feel the real anxiety. Yeah. If they're Christian, you assume they're talking to Jesus and he's talking to them about this. But you might also have a responsibility as a sister or brother to talk to them about it. Yeah. If they're not Christian... Mm. Yes. Yeah, sure. It's really good if you're around people that don't know the Lord but are quite gripped by anxiety and, and your, your peace is pressing their buttons. How do you, what do you say to them? Because it's, it's very easy to be bent out of shape by other people's anxiety, isn't it? To be honest. Um, I think that somehow it's probably a little bit like anything really there are 101 opportunities to witness so rather than seeing it as a discipleship moment seeing it as a witnessing moment I suppose where you just say like you seem a bit stressed out are you okay so show concern and care and love 
and then let it open up the conversation where you know they might op- they might open all bar- both barrels at you and make it about you. In which case, you know, you can just say, I'm really sorry that the way I'm doing this has made you feel that way. Um, that really wasn't what I was in- intending. I just, um, I don't know, just. So you know, but at the end of the day, you, you, what you do have to do, I think, Mike touched on it in his seminar the other week. You, you have to make sure other people's expectations of you, their load, you don't take it on because it bends you out of shape. So you have to work a lot. I really want to help, but I don't think I can fully enter into th- th- what you're into. But I do want to help so you can show kindness in that. But yeah, you can't fix people. Point them to Jesus, tell them what, he, what he's done in your life, but you, you can't fix them. I think we have to just be realistic about that. That's not what... Yeah, so, I don't know. It's not easy. It's not easy. So be honest and loving but you have to fight your own demons don't you you have to fight your own things of ah, I feel really like you know I've got to or, and that's something you, you with, with other people's help but you've got to face those things there because at the end of the day it's tempting sometimes to crumble because you, you care more about what they think of you than you should and it's that that you've got to face and, and go through that I've always found that in relationships without and with the dynamics is a bit unhealthy if you want to get healthy dynamics, there is always a moment of tension. That's where the lines get redrawn. And if you're not willing to go through that, the lines stay in the same place. In friendship, in marriage, with parents, unless you're willing for that, so you, that, that will happen. But if you get through it, as a result, their expectations should either adjust or they move away from you, and that's their decision. But do you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. I think they're brilliant questions. I'll just repeat them for the. Um, so, is 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 there not is there not perhaps wisdom in in being a little bit closer to the um, prescribed practice in the Old Testament, um, and also something that we could agree on communally, communally, so that we could do it together? There may well be. There may well be. I I, I don't think I would. I think as long as long as we weren't like you say, as long as it didn't become a covenantal obligation where we were kind of under this thing. For me, that's th- th- those are like, they become battle lines. Do you know what I mean? You, you end up being on, on opposing sides. So I think you could be right. I think the difficulty is with, with, the, um, with the first part is that obviously it's not just the Genesis narrative, it's also the Exodus narrative and don't light a fire. And where do you draw the line, I think, is, 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 is an important question to ask because I think you, you can end up drawing it in, in our arbitrary ways. And I guess what I've done is I've kind of sort of taken, it's almost, I, I, I sort of hands up, I've almost picked and, picked and chosen. You know, I, I kind of, I, I agree, I, I see that. Um, because I think that there's a, pr- what I'm trying to do is say there's a principle there that I think we should honour. So I think when you say that, you then need to work out what are the, what's the kernel of the principle. And so I think I've said, I think, I think some sort of re- weekly rhythm of rest is a really wise, that's the road I've gone down. But <clears throat> I think whether, whether the, whether the Sabbath itself is, an, is, an, is a spiritual entity in and of itself, which I know would be uh, belief in some Jewish system. Well, I think, you can, I think Genesis 2 would, could, could point you that way. He blessed it down and made it holy. But I think some of the um, interaction in, in Paul's writings would make you sort of feel like, I, I, don't, I don't think I could fully embrace that. Um, and, so, and so I think if I was with people that, that would, we were clear on the gospel together, if they wanted to do that and they showed me why, I'd go, hey, cool fine but I don't I wouldn't particularly then feel obliged to do that to do that myself 
I think in terms of community, I think that's brilliant. It's, it's kind of one of those br brilliant comments that comes from someone, um, you know, not brought up in the Western world, where you just go, oh, yeah, I didn't realise how individualistic I was being. <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think that was the advantage of the Sunday thing, you know, regardless of your sort of Sabbatarian theology. There was a day where no one was expected to work, or very, very few. And so there was a system there. That system obviously has broken down um, and uh, some good reasons and lots of bad reasons. You know, it's kind of a strange sort of blend. Um, and so you could say, well, should we do something as a church in that way? Here's what we have done. This is what we've done to the, to the kind of... It's, it, it's, it's probably far from perfect, but what we've done is we've, we have said there will not be any consistent weekly ministry that we ask someone to serve on on a Saturday. So there might be an occasional men's day or women's day or something like that, but we moved food bank from Saturday to Thursday because what we said was we recognised that a lot goes on on Sunday. We recognised that you know, we're a church where a lot of people serve and things go on. And so let's try to keep that day clear so that if people want to have that day as a, as a sort of a, a down day, then that will work in terms of the rhythm of the, rhythm of the church. It's nowhere near as far as what you're suggesting but it's just a, a kind of a bit of a comment to say that that kind of thing has gone around our minds a little bit. I think just by the way, I think by the shift work that goes on and the this and the that, I guess you could, you've always got reasons why you wouldn't, but I think um, we would probably, the honest truth as well, is, as, as well I think, is that we would prob we're probably a little bit nervous at getting too close to a line that we don't want to get to in terms of feeling like we're imposing something that we haven't got a strong biblical reasons does that make sense so we're a bit nervous of that in terms of because i think the thing of the gift is wonderful i think when you i sort of i don't i may be wrong but i sort of think in genesis we have a gift i feel like in exodus there's legislation that gets built around it much the same like with marriage for example and genesis is a gift whereas there's laws coming about divorce and other things in in exodus and i wonder if it's because we don't take the gift at face value that some elements of legislation come in because of that, I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there, I've sort of wondered about that, because obviously Jesus looks at some of the legislation on marriage that came, came in in Mosaic, because your, your hearts were hard, we had to bring that in, and so I think, I guess I'm sort of wondering whether we can, with a renewed heart that's fully, fully committed to Jesus, whether there's something about that, um, what we see there in Genesis, that we can draw some of the main principles from, but you could probably equally argue, if you're going to do that, do the Saturday for goodness sake, and do it on Friday night, I get it. I get it. So I'm, I, don't feel, I don't feel opposed to anything you're suggesting um, in a gospel freedom sort of context. Um, there, I think that the reality is there are probably just some areas of nervousness that we feel, wouldn't feel comfortable as a leadership saying communally we're going that far but we've, we've thought about it in terms of not putting things in so, so that rhythm can be helped. So, yeah. Guys, it's time. You've been brilliant. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. Happy to carry on talking with you.